The blueberry industry is like no other. Passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. I can't believe we're already approaching our 20th episode of this podcast. And I really appreciate those of you who have reached out with your feedback and your encouragement for this project. It's been a great way to keep the communication up during this time of social distancing. Today, we have another tech episode for you. These have been really our most popular episodes, and especially the last couple we've done about mechanical harvesting and robotics. And I have back with me again, my trusty co-host and committee chair of our Innovation and Tech Committee, Mr. Rod Cook. Rod, what did you think of our virtual conference and expo a few weeks ago? You know, as chair of the uh, Innovation and Tech Committee, I, I had to uh, both applaud not only the fact that we did one, but the way it got pulled off. It, it was really great. I mean, in a committee, it was challenging, I think, to get that same feel uh, that you get face to face and and the interchange with the crowd. But all in all, I, I thought it was great. Well, and I was impressed that, you know, you'd helped us kind of secure Vani SD from PMA to be our keynote for our tech and the future theme day on that fourth day. And she's a fan of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> that, that was great. We're going to have to grab her and continue to keep in relationship. She did a great job on that keynote. And the turnout was incredible. I, I, even still, as we have made the sessions available online for the event, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And so we're going to try to kind of put together an upcoming episode of this podcast that will be kind of a highlight reel of the meetings that week. So I hope everybody stays tuned for that. But today, Rod, we're going to focus here on tech. What are we going to be exploring on today's episode? Well, as you mentioned, you know, we've talked about robotics, uh, mechanical harvesting is a big part of that. And one of the things that gets driven very heavily uh, with the uptick in the amount of mechanical harvesting for fresh is the need to sort this stuff much better. Now, we have a lot of sorters out there, but today we're going to bring in Ellie Norris from Oregon and the company that she has chosen to go with, Mafrota People. It's a, a really interesting story, both family operations, which I find interesting. I think that's great. And again, a family farming enterprise. So it'll be interesting. We'll understand a little bit more what uh, Ellie hopes to gain out of the way they sort their product and then what MAP brings to the table in terms of unique technology. Well, I am looking forward to digging in here. Sounds great. But before we dive in for our featured conversation, it's time for the crop report. Now that we're in the fall season, it's really important to understand what's happening with the production coming out of South America and Mexico. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be hearing directly from Chile and Peru and Mexico. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time now for the Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today, you'll hear from Jose Luis Bustamante in Mexico and Luis Vegas in Peru. This was recorded on October 28th, 2020. Uh, good afternoon, this is Jose Luis Bustamante from Mexico, president of Aneberris. Uh, as we mentioned in the past podcast, we have uh, the Mexico season of blueberries export is not yet in full gear. We're just starting with some of the early prunings 
and the ones that prune something in February or March. So it's there's some small volumes going out. Weather, on the other hand, is being perfect. It's warm days, cold nights. Its main harvest area is mainly the Mexico, Central Mexico, Jalisco, and Michoacan states. So in a season to date number, we have 1.5 million exports. And for those 1.4 million pounds going to the US market, is compared to the last year, is 11% higher. And that's the forecast that we have for the whole Mexican season, around between 10 and 11% higher than the previous season. Organics are only 10% of our exports. And we are estimated that for week 44, we expect the exports to the US to 350,000 pounds and going climbing slowly to week 45 to 400,000 pounds. And that's my report. Good morning, everybody. This is Luis uh, with the report from Peru uh, up until the end of week 42. That is the week ending on October 18th. So up until this point of the season, Peru has, has shipped uh, 203 million pounds worldwide, which actually represents an increase of 46% versus the previous season. Having said that, we are at 52% of the crop uh, forecasted to be shipped this season. Regarding the last week, week 42, uh, the volume shift was uh, slightly below week 41. Uh, week 41 has been the highest week in terms of volume shift. Uh, what happened in week 42? 23.3 uh, million pounds were shipped from Peru. From that total, 12.7 million pounds have been shipped to the US. That's all for the fresh sector. Regarding the frozen uh, exports, as I mentioned before, the participation of frozen, it's, it's, it's quite small compared to fresh exports. So up until this point of the season, Peru has shipped 8.8 million pounds uh, up until the end of September. Our forecast for the Peruvian season up until uh, March uh, next year is of 390 million pounds. So that's a report from Peru. Well, thank you so much to our colleagues from around the world who take the time to participate in these crop reports. It's been great to see some of our South American counterparts involved since their season has started up as ours has come to a close. Well, Rod, let's introduce our featured guest for today's episode on optical sorting. You bet. Today, we've got Ellie Norris, a second generation grower in Oregon, obviously. For those that know Paul Norris, or dad, and Sandy, or mom, Ellie's uh, the owner manager, but I think as she may even uh, allude to her, her primary job is running the whole darn thing. And uh, she's put in some huge, huge amounts of time into the operation, pretty much as most of you guys out there who do farm as well. She's running 24 hours a day, seven days a week for quite a few weeks in a year. And so it's a big job. She's doing extremely well. The Norris Farm's known for their very high quality, relatively early production out of the state of Oregon. And so we're really happy to have Ellie here. We also have Brian Brown. He's the general manager of MAF Rhoda Robotics, uh, Pacific Northwest. And he has been with them quite a long time and uh, was going to explain to us a little bit about MAF Rota. There are a lot of sorting companies out there, but MAF is uh, pretty interesting. Again, a family operation, actually. And we 
probably don't know as much about that organization as some of the more common ones that uh, you might hear about. So that's why we actually decided to set up this interview to see what their offering are and how they're using technology. So I guess with that, I'd like to make sure you guys have a chance to sort of introduce yourself. Uh, Ellie, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit more? Uh, you know, I kind of gave a very brief glaze over, but go ahead and, <laughs> and talk with our listeners. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you follow an introduction like that? You nailed it on the head. Um, uh, second generation blueberry grower, packer, we specialize in fresh pack and export quality fresh blueberries. So my dad and I work together every single day, which if you know my dad, that's entertaining. <laughs> and about three years ago, we brought in MOF optical sorter into our facility. And I've been working very closely with Brian ever since to get it absolutely perfect. Super. Well, thanks. Hey, Brian, why don't uh, you talk a little bit? I, I probably know more about the company than I know about you exactly. So why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown, both on yourself, but I, I'd also like you to kind of do a more proper introduction of the company. Sure. So one correction is that I, I've moved from the general manager to sales ah, as, okay. as a transition. Great. So uh, there is a new general manager here. So as far as MOF or this industry, I've been in the industry since 1993, starting out with a competitor. And we started out with apples and pears and, and then transitioned to the cherries. But MOF is a company that does anything in produce, mainly fresh pack. We do a little bit of processing, but most of what we do is fresh pack. So we start out in this area in the Pacific Northwest. We're located in Yakima. We're a satellite of the main corporation or the main company. Moff Rota is located in France. And Moff Rota actually started out in 1905 in Algiers. The family lived in Algiers with orchards and started developing packing equipment. When we look at the equipment that we have to offer, really what we do as a company, you know, we look at product as an individual. If you look at how apples are packed, and a consumer buys, most consumers buy an apple one at a time. They'll reach into the stack that's at the consumer and they pick that apple up. And so when we grade and sort apples, it's based on one product at a time. And uh, what we've gone to in the transition going to blueberries is that MOF has developed many different types of sizers for all different types of products. And we've crossed that technology into different commodities. Right now, uh, what's going on with MOF, there's a continued research and development I think our R&D budget is probably more than usually the gross sales of most of our competitors. Thanks, Brian. That's a great introduction to the company. It's very widespread. It's, of course, you're across so many different crops, which I think is always a neat thing because uh, the more exposure to the various sorting requirements and quality controls, the, the overall level of understanding of any one, I think, seems to go up a little bit. Hey, before we get too far into any specifics here, obviously we have a, a fairly well blueberry educated uh, core of people listening to us, but we do have some people who are, are just listening in. And we talk a little bit about what this sorter that we're, we're talking about here does for you, Ellie. Can you just, without going into detail, we'll get into the specifics later on this machine and how it works for you, but just in, in general from a grower's perspective, why do you have a sorting machine in the first place? Oh, okay. So in a broad sense, a sorting machine allows us to sort imperfect blueberries from blueberries that up to the standard we want to ship out for fresh pack to customers. 
and that includes green reds damaged or anything that's too soft to go into a fresh pack and that's a very broad sense for any sorting line that you would have in a pack house and you guys are still doing predominantly fresh i mean hand-picked is what i meant to say uh so it's not like you need this just because you have a machine harvesting regime you guys are using this with hand-picked fruit as well is that correct that is exactly correct. We haven't seen a mechanical harvester yet that we think keeps the standard of fresh pack that we want, especially for the customers we have and all the export markets we provide to. We're always looking, but we haven't seen one yet that can get the job done and treat the fruit gently enough for what we want to do. So the optical sorter at our end was mostly for labor issues and uh, just maintaining precise quality as much as we can. And Brian, in terms of the development of the blueberries equipment itself, are, are there other operations uh, that you'd like to add to that discussion on what, what these sorters are capable of doing for the growers? Well, I think that when we came into the market uh, three years ago with Norris and uh, Blue Mountain, Blue Mountain's another customer we have in Washington State that has an eight-lane blueberry sizer. When we came into the market, most of the sorting was done by a series of uh, sorters that would pass the fruit over an optical eye. And the goal was to try to see as much of that fruit as you could and to see what was on that fruit. Just in our time that we've had watching these machines work, the color sorter that's out there that, that they're using works really well within the line that we have. But, you know, as far as looking for softness, I mean, and uh, defects, I mean, you're looking at the past technology was you would see 30% of the fruit and then you would see 30% of that berry because it only sees one side of it when it's passing over the camera. So there's no rotation, there's no segregation or singulation or separation of the fruit well enough to see that fruit in a good light, in a good way to find out that, that there's more defects with it. What has happened is customers are putting more of those machines in line with each other and they try to see more of it. But the truth is they're, they're not. The statistics are just not there for them to see the fruit completely and all of the fruit. What an electronic sizer does, a true electronic sizer does, and this goes back to my comment that we build equipment based on the individual piece of produce, is that we're looking at each piece of produce and determining it, the, the quality of it individually. You know, with the bigger the product, uh, let's just say in the, in the very beginning when I started out in 93, 200 pieces per minute was fast. And now we're at, with the blueberry line, we're at 2,600 pieces per lane that we're looking at blueberries. So 2,600 blueberries per minute per line. And we're looking at each individual blueberry, 360 degrees, and determining its grade based on its, what the quality of that individual blueberry is. So if, when you look at the quality difference between what is the old technology and what has come out now in the last three years, it's a completely different deal. In confidence, when I go to the supermarket, I look for Norris fruit because I know every piece of that fruit, all those little blueberries in that clam has been looked at by an electronic sorter and it's been selected as good quality or bad quality and they kick it out into an IQF. So that's the big difference is that we're looking at each piece of fruit. And then when we look at that fruit, you know, in, in the very beginning, the soft part of it was the big game, being able to find the soft fruit one time, run it through the sizer, you see it one time, you only handle it once. 
and we handle it very gently. In fact, when uh, Dr. Fumi came out from West Virginia with a couple other uh, PhDs from other universities, they ran a little bird, which is a little dynamic ball that measures impact. And they ran it through the whole line and they found zero impacts through the sizer, which is a big plus because it's like when you pick apples or you pick cherries, once you pick it and you get it to the packing shed, you don't want to bruise it anymore. You don't want to treat it any rougher than when it's already been treated. And so you want to make sure whatever you're running it across is the most gentle system you have. And the moth sizer, how the moth sizer is made, handles the fruit very gently. And we're able to rotate the fruit, like I said, determine the defect. If it has a defect, determine the size of it, the color of it. All of that stuff is determined as it passes underneath the camera at 2,600 pieces per lane per minute. So, Ellie, you know, you guys, these are not small investments, obviously. And I also know your dad pretty well that, you know, there's a, a lot of research that goes in before you guys would pick a piece of equipment. So of the things Brian's talking about here, what made Norris Farms kind of decide to go in this direction? Again, we were just looking at the future and uh, labor is becoming more and more of an issue. And the fact that we can just get such a precise dialed in quality on an optical sorter that you just can't get with hand sorting. An optical sorter doesn't get tired. It doesn't get distracted. It doesn't wander away. And you can really run it 24 hours a day. So that was our big key in wanting to go towards an optical sorter. And we went with Moth, one, because they're a family company, and that's a big thing for us. Our marketer is a family-owned company, and knowing that Moth is a multi-generational family company was something that we were very keen on. We were also the first, if not the second, blueberry sorting line that I believe Moth put in in North America. And so being able to be on the ground floor and help design, in a sense, and work with them and develop it and really share our knowledge with their company was something that we really wanted to do. We just didn't want to buy something off a shelf and plug it in and go. We really wanted to get a custom machine that worked for us and our needs. And the last three years have been amazing. We've gone back to the drawing board multiple times with MOF. And they've listened to our concerns and our ideas and ran with them. And now we have a fantastic machine. Well, and today I have the privilege of introducing a new segment to the Business of Blueberry podcast, our new Marketing Boost segment. This is where Vice President of Marketing and Communication, Jenny Sparks, who you met on episode 17, will provide a tip, tool, or trend to help boost your blueberry business. So here's Jenny. Welcome to the first Marketing Boost. I'm Jennifer Sparks, Vice President of Marketing and Communications for USHBC and NABC. Today, I'd like to talk about authenticity. Think about the brands that you gravitate to and the social media accounts or digital communications that garner your attention. What makes them stick out from the noise? It's their ability to resonate with you, to speak your language, to meet you where you are. In today's increasingly cluttered communications landscape, we need to find ways to capture our customers' and consumers' attention in a way that breaks through the clutter. So whether you're a grower reaching out to a supplier, a supplier reaching out to a retailer, a retailer or anyone in the blueberry industry trying to capture the attention of the consumer, our communications need to speak to our audiences in ways that resonate. Or in other words, to show them that we know them. 
A key point to remember in any promotion or communication is that the expectation of today's customer is that they will engage with a brand or company that makes it about them. In fact, 80% of customers say experience is as important as the brand's offerings, and 72% of customers share a positive experience with more than six people a week. That's powerful. So when we can give the customer a more personalized experience, an authentic experience, we make more meaningful connections. As you go forward in your communications this week, whether it's to employees, suppliers, stakeholders, or customers, try to communicate from the standpoint of what's in it for them, and you might just start to see a difference. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to experience the amazing benefits of blueberries. So, Brian, one of the comments we often get when we talk about technology, and obviously as a technology chair, I'm very sensitive to it, is that you know a lot of people look at some of this new technology and just go, it's only appropriate for really large farms and things like that. I mean, can you give us sort of a, a range or a scope of the kind of farm enterprises you guys do work with around the world that are looking and fitting this technology into their operations? We have uh, Blue Mountain, which is down at Pasco, and they have an eight lane with four drops. So it's a small, compact line. I think it fits into the, it was what their tractor barn it was at one time. And what they're doing is they're doing the same thing that a Norse is doing. They're uh, dumping the fruit out of a flat into a blower to a weekly color sorter onto the sizer, and then they're refilling back into that flat, and they're taking it over to a clamshell machine and running it to a clam. And it's a small operation. It's not very big. And if we look at worldwide, um, MOF has a, quite a few lines out there. We have the least amount of lines in the U.S. And I think some of it's the reluctance of moving away from what everybody's gotten used to, uh, simple systems. So what we see throughout the world, France and Spain just put out a dozen blueberry lines that were just put out, and most of them were small ones. There are some big operations, but most of the lines are in that a single eight lane or a single 12 lane. When you look at the width of them, you know, you're talking about an eight lane is about 40 inches wide. And uh, so it's not a real big line and they're small and compact or portable. They can be rolled around. But the advantage that it gives to the packer is that you're able to sort each individual blueberry correctly. And in the throughput through it, uh, you know, when we first started in Norris, our expectations were higher than reality. Uh, and now we've pushed reality up to our expectations. And so we're getting more production through the line now. And as we progress, we can see, we know the machine can run faster. It's just a matter of the electronics keeping up. The truth is, is that you have a computer system, a camera system that is built for blueberries. And you have a system that's looking at each individual blueberry, and then you have multiple lanes. So you have an electronic system, and, a, and which camera system is electronics, and you have a little bit of what we call a coupler, which is an interface. And then we have our processors that is processing, like at Norris, 24 lanes. So there's a lot of information that's going through there. And that's been most of our limitations as far as going beyond the 2,600 pieces. As technology improves outside of blueberries in the, in the computer world, computers will become faster. And of course, then our production will increase with that. But as far as the amount of lines that are out there, I would say MOF has just as many small packing lines out there. And that's the thing with a lot of Europe 
in, not just in blueberries, but in other commodities, it's small mom and pop operations. There are a few big ones that have consolidated together, but a lot of those are co-ops. And um, even in some of these co-ops, like we just sold a line into SA co-op out of Italy and they, they actually ran it this last year. Some of the growers are looking at buying their own little sizers and running their own lines and then bringing it into the co-op for the co-op to handle the marketing side of it. So that's kind of the direction we, we hope to see that the U.S. goes into. Great. I know uh, you brought up uh, Fumi Takeda a few minutes ago. I know one of the areas that he and Dr. Lee out of Georgia have uh, really sort of pioneered is the use of IR in terms of detection of internal bruising in these berries so that you can actually not just see what's bad today, but you can get a good idea of what's going to be bad down the supply chain road a little ways. Are, are you guys moving towards the, uh, the IR sensors and those kind of things as you're looking at the fruit in a 360 view? Well, actually, we are currently we're using four different wavelengths. One is RGB, which is color. Then we have two IRs and we have an NIR that we currently use. And the way that we've been able to create a, a very, very clear image, uh, exact image, is that we've patented a single camera that uses all four wavelengths looking through the same lens. Now it's superimposed and the amount of uh, pixels, which shows your image, whether it's an NIR or IR or RGB, it's the amount of pixels that you retain back. It's 10 times what it was even three years ago. Now there's one other thing that um, MOF is actually developing and we've had it around for quite some time is we look internally of a lot of our products like apples and pears and onions and we look for internal decay. And we're using that same system. It's a spectrometer that we're using to look into blueberries now. And we're using it to look for sugar content on blueberries. But it's also a system that can look for internal decay or bruising. Because the bruising is a decay sooner or later. It turns into a decay. And it works really well. And um, so one of the things that uh, we're pushing forward is to provide that NIR system to all of our existing customers in the U.S. for blueberries and provide it on a future quotes to anybody else. So sometimes when you open up a clam and you, you bite into a blueberry and it's got a little, it's not as sweet as it, which you expect it to be, is uh, one of those times when you wish they had an NIR. That's interesting. And I, and I did misspeak. Uh, Dr. Lee's work has shown the NIR is really where they're getting that internal image of bruising, even at very, very, very early stages. So, well, that's really interesting. Ellie, I, I guess my question to you is, this is maybe a little more technical for some people than what they would have liked to hear, but with that kind of uh, technical information available, how difficult is it from the grower perspective, the packer perspective to, you know, dial this in so that you're happy? You know, I mean, gosh, if we are rejecting 90% of the fruit, I mean, that's you kind of wonder why you're picking. So, I mean, you've got to have some flexibility because obviously your pick on one day is a little different than the pick on the other. So you, I'm assuming you have to readjust this. How tough do you find this equipment to do? Is it something you had to learn or do you have somebody dedicated to that? I'm the person dedicated to that. Two years ago, my um, sister and dad looked at me and said, well, you're going to know how to run this thing. And then they walked away. So I had to figure out how to run them off. That was a fun year. It is a lot more complicated than the traditional sorting line. There is a lot of different variables. One thing that was very helpful 
on my sense is just my background in science and computers. And it took a while, it took a lot of handholding, but now I feel very comfortable going into that program and tweaking and modifying and adapting it to get the best quality for the type of variety of fruit that I'm currently running. Cause that's a big variable in it too. The blueberry growers and packers out there know each variety has its own distinct characteristics and being able to dial it in so you aren't ejecting uh, fruit that has too much bloom on it or um, an oddly shaped one or that kind of stuff. So it took some learning, but now I feel very comfortable with it. But it's something to keep in mind if you're looking into getting an optical sorter, you need to have someone who is dedicated to learning the program and who is available to make those tweaks throughout the day. It's not a plug and play kind of machine. Ellie, what, Brian brought up labor, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit. I mean, I know you guys, your farm is really all about quality and, and strong customer relations and things like that. It, it really has had a long heritage in those areas. But clearly part of the deal is labor, and I think you mentioned it in the beginning. Can you quantify what sort of labor savings uh, you're seeing from a machine like this in your in your line? What's it doing in terms of the labor savings for the farm itself. In terms of labor saving, I can run the moth, which processes more pounds than a traditional, we call it a couplet. It's two manual sorting lines side by side. The moth is faster and better quality and I can run it with less than half the people needed to get the same kind of quality off of a manual sorting line that has two Wacos on the front of it. Have you guys calculated the kind of payoff programs then as far as uh, what the payback to the farm is? How long does it take to, I mean, most of these pieces of technology are always in uh, change. You know, you add on this year, that year. So it may be difficult to actually answer the question, but you know, do you have something kind of calculated? What's the payback to the farm as far as getting this machine paid for and such? I will say yes and no all in the same sentence with that because you hit it on the head. It's a very fluid thing. There's always new things being added to it, things taken away and changing the way that we do things in the barn. So it's hard to get an exact number on that. Overall, in time, it will save us quite a bit of money. It is an investment on the front end that you make in hopes that it will get you there in the long run. So it was one that we are willing to, to make, and we have been talking with Moth about doing another line in the next couple of years, just to keep that forward thinking going. So I can't give you exact numbers because, you know, it's, I don't really have them quite yet, but overall, just personnel, I can save so much labor and money that way just by how few people it takes to actually run this machine. That's cool. Hey, Rod. Yeah, I was going to dig a little bit on that question because yeah, I, I, I wanted to uh, kind of bring up what I heard Ellie said at the very beginning, what you're talking about now in labor, you know, as being the inspiration for the decision on going with Moth. But we heard from Todd Egan at Costco talk about, I can forgive sour, but I can't forgive softness. And to the extent that you heard somebody like that talk about how important varieties are, quality characteristics like this. But you're saying, Ellie, that it, it wasn't about that for you. You were coming at this primarily for a labor savings 
correct? Uh, yes and no again. Um, yes, the ability of the moth to be more precise with sorting soft has been fantastic. And that has allowed us to have more volume to give to customers like Costco, who we have a fantastic relationship with. And so we've been able to do more shipments that way. If we were running on our manual lines, we just had to run a lot slower to get the same quality and then stack multiple soft sorters in front of it to hopefully capture all the soft and then make the judgment call like, well, okay, that pick of that variety isn't the quality that Costco wants to see. And so we choose not to send that to Costco. Having the moth has allowed us to open the door of more just sheer volume of fruit that we can potentially send to Costco because we know that it's the quality that they want. Right. Well, and I guess that is a follow-up question to Brian, because, you know, Brian, you were saying North America represents the kind of least amount of lines in your company today, but how many of your customers in North America are coming at this like Ellie did versus, you know, kind of what Todd was suggesting in his keynote, which is it's about this quality characteristic that we're looking for. And how is that customer demographic look like to you? Are you just seeing this as a labor play or are you also recognizing that there are more growers having to meet a high standard like what Todd was describing? We first started off in the first year, the same year that we sold the line to Norris, we had a lot of interest from many growers, many packers. And I think there's some other dynamics that are involved in, in the market, you know, prices reflected it, uh, different parts, different territories, you know, selling their product cheaper than other ones and kind of knocks the legs off from underneath some of the packers and their plans. So we've had a lot of drawings and a lot of proposals out there for people for the new technology and they've pulled back. We know our initial costs are more than what it is for most people to either stay with their existing lines or get involved into the same kind of a setup that most people are using. But the technology is there. And when you talk to them about what the line's capable of doing, they all want it. They all see a, a need for it. And in some people, it's because of labor. For some of the packers, it's because of quality. You know, we've had, uh, I'd say half the amount of people that we've talked to are predominantly IQF and they want to be able to pull out the good fresh pack out of that, what traditionally was IQF for them, and create a fresh pack and develop that. And uh, with their existing systems, they realized that they couldn't do that. So for those people, it was more about the quality and the capabilities of the system to pull the quality out, not necessarily the labor savings on it. All right. So we kind of been at that point in time where we try and put you a little bit on the spot. Ellie, You've talked a lot about the machine, what it's been able to do for you. You've also talked that you might be looking to expand that line in the future. So what sort of feedback are you giving, Brian? What are the changes or what sort of additions would you love to see these guys consider as they move forward to make this line even better for you? It's no secret that we are a very picky bunch down here. And yes, we do make phone calls in the middle of the night if the machine is running and it's not running perfectly. So thank you, Brian and Ralph and Peter and all the people that I harass all the time. But it is the shrivel, the splits, and in the future, the bruising. It's been great. We've had a programmer down on our farm pretty much all summer working on designing a better split program, a better shrivel program. And we've been working in tandem a lot. So hopefully that rolls out this coming year. And each year it just gets a little bit better. So that's on my wish list. And there's no secret with MOF that that is the top of my, my wish list. 
Are there other topics you guys would like to discuss? I kind of came to the end of my questions. I don't know if Casey had anything else or Tim, or if you guys have other things you'd like to bring up or chat about or make sure it's included in the podcast. If I had to add something for anyone out there looking into optical sorters, after working with Moth and seeing a number of other ones in production and functioning in other pack houses by other companies, keep in mind the cleanability of these machines. Food safety is critical. It's key. And being able to get into these machines and clean it and sanitize it and have it to the level it needs to be is incredibly important. So with the MOF, yes, it's, its footprint is bigger than some of the other machines out there, but the ability to actually physically climb into it when it's not running <laughs> and fully clean it out is wonderful. Yeah, I don't recommend getting in it yeah. when it's running. That's- no, some of us would be kicked out by the software. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just send you to IQ. No, that's a, that is really a great point. I mean, you know, with this change in technology and the requirements on food safety now, and I want to thank you both, Allie and Brian, for taking time to talk with us today, uh, share with the growers and the people listening out there what your experiences have been and how MOF is working to Im- really improve our blueberry industry. So thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Rod. It's been been fun. Let's do it again. Rod, that was fantastic. Uh, Great chat with Ellie and nice to meet Brian and hear from him and what Moff's doing. Uh, I think we'll just kind of wrap things up here with what your key takeaways were from this episode. Well, uh, for a techno nerd, there are a lot of individual things, the statistics and the way they're moving and looking at all these different things. But in all honesty, the one thing that came across through that whole uh, dialogue was the relationship between the manufacturer and the grower, both friendship, but at at a very technical level. For those that know the Norrises, I don't really have to say this, but for those that don't, I will tell you that they would not choose a company simply based upon friendship. If it can't perform at an extraordinarily high level, they're not going to choose it. So to see that relationship and to understand and hear a little bit about how uh, MOF was willing to listen to the inputs to make some changes, and they're, of course, pushing things themselves. Some of these new sensors, uh, and talking with uh, Dr. Fumi Takada, uh, the use of this near infrared, the NIR, as we called it. That stuff is like leading edge. In fact, he was expressing to me how challenging it was to talk to many of these uh, manufacturers to encourage them to try to begin to build that in so they see the bruising and such. So those kind of things, it's just a great story and um, very interesting new technology, really. Well, and fascinating too. I mean, that was just that pairing between, you know, what it takes to make it work in this case, the optical sorter and, and Ellie, her background and able to kind of fine tune things. And I really liked what Brian said that when they started with Norris, you know, our expectations were past reality and now we've pushed reality up to meet our expectations. And I, and I think that spoke to the teamwork, right? It was really a team effort there. And, and uh, if they didn't have the Norris's Ellie in this case, you know, really with her background, you know, able to kind of help them understand her business to that point of, of success. I just, that was really, I think a key takeaway for me. I hope everyone thinks it's another good, uh, good program out there. We are moving on what uh, this was number 19 on to 20 or so. It's been fun so far and hopefully we'll continue to bring you some 
interesting and things. I encourage any listener out there, if they've got some new technology or they'd like to hear about specific technology, please let me know. You can contact me directly if you have access or get a hold of people at the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. They can pass on any recommendations and contacts, and I certainly will follow up. Well, you're doing a great job with this uh, tech theme of our podcast series. I, I enjoy hearing from all these new voices, new people, and it really does speak to, I think, the innovation that is underway and the kinds of things that I think we're all looking for and need, quite frankly, in order to continue to be successful in this business. Another great episode. So thank you, Rod, for putting this together. And uh, that's it for episode 19. So if you found this episode insightful, as Rod said, share it with someone else you know in this industry who could benefit from this information. And so we really appreciate that. And, and thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on The Business of Blueberries. Actually, when you, when you go to Fruit Logistica in Berlin, <laughs> Moff has a big screen and it's Norris's video running. Constantly. Oh my gosh. You guys are the David Hasselhoff Man, of the optical sorting. There you go. The Germans love you. We're <laughs> everywhere. You're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs>